are talking about Jesus and how he is greater than everything else around us. No matter what it is, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, Jesus is greater than, he is more powerful. Last week we talked about how Jesus is, is the exact radiance of God. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. He is so much more than just our Savior. He is God of the universe. He is greater than anything else. And I'm so excited this week to keep going forward. I want to start off today talking about confidence. You didn't know you are going to get slapped in the face with some confidence today. I don't know if you've ever known someone who's really confident. Maybe you're that person. And you look at that person and you think, how are you that confident? Or you might think this, why are you that confident? I think that question a lot. I see someone, usually the people I think should be the least confident are the ones who have so much confidence. It's really amazing. There's two types of confidence, though. You know this. There's foolish confidence, and then there's wise confidence. All right, foolish confidence is every guy who thinks he can pick up whatever girl he wants. Ask her out and she'll say yes. There are so many guys like this, especially in high school. And they just think every girl must be attracted to him because he has Axe body spray on. And he just thinks that'll work. That is foolish confidence. What is wise confidence? Wise confidence is when, is when you have a track record to look back on. When you have something in your life you can look back on and you say, I've seen it work in the past, it can work now, wise confidence is when, when you really get it. Recently, TJ, a lot of you guys know TJ. He's one of the guys who lives with me. And TJ just got a new truck. It's a Toyota Tundra. Now, it's, it's a big truck. I, I thought I knew how big a Toyota Tundra was until I had one parked in my driveway every day. And I've got to squeeze by it with my car because it takes up the whole driveway. And TJ, I feel like he's got a little pep in his step since he got his new truck. I just feel like he's got a little, he's got some swagger already, but got a little extra swagger going on. And he's, he's getting kind of cocky, I think. I think. This is me personally. And the reason why I think that is because twice this past week, I will get up and I leave to go to work before TJ does in the morning. And twice, I've opened up my garage door to back out my little Toyota Corolla, and his truck is parked right behind me. It's not like he accidentally parked a little too much behind me. He did, it's a power move. I can, I can see it in his eyes. He's coming for me. Pretty soon, instead of me charging him rent, he's going to start charging me rent. He was parked right behind me. And I, I went, instead of making him get up, I went and got his keys and I moved it myself. Like, like talk about cocky, man. That guy, he's got some confidence because he's got the truck. And he knows this. If he wants to, he can crush me, he can crush my car, and he can crush my house with that truck. Right? <laughs> TJ's got some wise confidence. A lot of us in life don't have a lot of confidence. Now, maybe you got confidence in one area. You know, hey, I'm, I'm up here, and I can, I can lead worship, and I can play instruments. I got confidence in that area. But then another area of your life, you don't. Maybe you know, hey, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I'm a good employee. I can do my job well. I'm a good student. I, I've got this studying thing figured out. But then there's another area of your life, like relationships, or maybe it's romance, or maybe it's your spiritual life, where you don't have as much confidence. Confidence is a hard thing to get. It's a really hard thing to get, especially when you don't have it. I'm convinced if somebody created just the confidence pill and they could just, just overnight just give you a pill and you'd have confidence, billions of dollars right off the bat. I mean, if I, could take, if I could take a little pill that would give me confidence that I could be in the NBA, man, I'd take it right now. Like, I'd just go out and try it. One time, when I was in middle school, I made a half-court a half court shot, and, and I would just love to have that, that confidence every time I went out on a court, I could make a half-court shot. Now, here, here's why we're talking about confidence today. A lot of us bring, bring this, this part of our lives where we don't have a lot of confidence, and we bring that into our relationship with God. 
a lot of us, and the, more, the longer I'm a pastor, the more people I talk to, the more I realize a lot of us, no matter how confident we are in other areas of our lives, when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we struggle with confidence. Because we look back and we see our track record. We look back and see all the times when we know we didn't live like God wanted us to live, all the times we failed, how we screwed up over and over and over again. And so we come to God and we don't have confidence. Because we look back and we know who we are. We're not foolish, that we're wise, we're being wise, but we're not confident because we're looking back at everything we've got and we say, hey, all of this means how can I be confident with God? Well, I want to dig into Hebrews today and look at what the Bible has to teach us about who Jesus is and how he is greater than. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 14. Now, you may think, oh, we skipped over a couple chapters. Well, the problem is Hebrews is 13 chapters long. So unless you want to have a 16 or 20 week series, anybody, then we're going to skip over a little bit as we go. Make sure you're reading along the way so you fill it in. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, this is what the Bible says to us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The author of Hebrews starts off and says, we have a high priest, a great high priest. And you get right off the bat that Jesus is the high priest who is greater than. Now, what was a high priest? Well, you may know this from, from reading the Bible or going to Sunday school. But a high priest was the, the top dog in the priesthood, and he was the one who once a year would go into this place of the Jewish temple. The Jews had a temple in Jerusalem, and there was one inter, inner room that you would only enter one time of, year, of the year, and it was only the high priest who would go in, and it was called the Holy of Holies. And this, this high priest would go in to offer a sacrifice there before God. And this, this is where the Jews believed that God's presence was strongest. This is where God's presence was most fully manifested. So the high priest would be the one who would enter in to come before God in his presence and intercede, to come in and say, hey, on behalf of the people, God, we, we repent of our sins, we're sorry, we're coming to you. What we learn about Jesus, the very first thing in this verse, is that he is a great high priest who has not entered into the Holy of Holies, this special room. He is the great high priest who has entered into heaven. We've already learned that he is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the high priest who doesn't just enter into a room where God's presence is manifested somewhat. He enters into heaven where God's presence is manifested fully. He's the great high priest. And this is, this is what we're told. We're told that we need to hold firmly to this faith. Now, this is, I believe, how a lot of us approach God. We say, okay, this is true. Jesus did this, and so I've got to believe this. Jesus entered into the presence of God, so I need to hold strongly to that faith that I profess because I believe it. And, and, and the problem is, though, is that we, we turn our faith into something we just hold on to. We turn our faith into something we just believe. And, and a long time ago, I was sitting in a, in a McDonald's at a men's Bible study. I was up in Washington, D.C. It's like I went to this Bible study for three weeks. And I, well, I was up there. So I was, I was in Washington, D.C. And one, one of the guys asked me, he was this really big guy, like super muscular. He played football back in college and, and really deep voice. And kind of intimidating, like, 
Idris Elba kind of intimidating, if you know who that is. Like, you're just sitting across from this, this hunk of a man. And he looks right at me. He's a pastor. And he said, why do you believe the, in Christianity? I'm like, I didn't know I was going to be quizzed today. This is like the Spanish Inquisition right now. What, what are you supposed to say to that? And I responded with, I think, is probably like the greatest answer of all time. It's very simple. But I said, because Christianity is true. It's like, I just believe no, no matter what it feels like, no matter uh, the challenges of following Jesus, because it is the truth. And he said, right answer. And I thought, whew, I'm not going to get killed today. And, and for a long time, I thought that was the total answer. We, why do we believe what we say? is because it is true. Like, Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. Now, I believe every single one of those things. I'm willing to give my life for those truths. But as I've grown and as I've read more scripture and, and drawn closer to God... One of the things I've realized is that we don't believe simply because it's true. Now, we believe it because it's true, but it's not the only reason. We believe it because it's true and because it works. This is, this is a part of Christianity I think we leave off too much, is that Christianity is not just true in an abstract sense. It is true because it can be applied to our lives and actually do what it claims. It can actually transform our lives. The Holy Spirit of God can actually dwell in us. And so here we're told that we need, to, uh, we need to have this faith that we profess. We need to hold firmly to it. Now often we look at Jesus and we say Jesus is unattainable. He's other than. Now follow me here. Jesus is other than. And so this faith we profess and we think maybe it works is other than. We're believing Jesus. Yeah, he lived. Yeah, I guess he was human, but he was also God. One thing I want you to realize is Jesus, when he was human, did not use his power for himself. Every single miracle Jesus does is for someone else. I think sometimes we look at Jesus and we think he's like we would be if, if we were Jesus. And he was doing stuff for himself all the time. And he had it easy because he was God in the flesh. Kind of like Bruce Almighty. You guys seen Bruce Almighty? J Jim Carrey turns into God. And what does he do? He, he trains his dog to pee in the toilet. Like that's what he uses the, the almighty power of God to do. He uses it to get a really nice sports car to have a, a monkey come out of the backside of, of a guy who's trying to beat him up. Like, that's what he does. He puts 220 pounds of marijuana in a, a rival news anchor's van. All right, that's, that's the kind of petty stuff he does. Jesus, when he was living, never did anything for himself miraculously. He always did it for other people. And, and this is what we got to understand about Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest, not because he's far out there other than He's our great high priest because he understands exactly what we're going through. Here's the next verse, chapter, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, what this doesn't mean is Jesus was, was tempted with every specific sin. For instance, if, if you've had a, a drug addiction in the past, those drugs are, are probably pretty new. They've been designed or created since Jesus' time. So he wasn't tempted with that exact drug. Or Jesus wasn't tempted with online pornography because there was no internet back then. Jesus wasn't tempted to cheat on his wife because Jesus wasn't married. But Jesus in every sphere of his life faced temptation, just like you do. There, there's, no, there's no temptation you experience that Jesus is like, oh, that's a new one. Like, didn't realize you could be that messed up. That guy is struggling with that temptation. No, Jesus has faced every temptation. Now, now, why is this important? Because back when this was written, you had two major views of God. Here was view number one. It was the Jewish view of God. Now, the Jews worshipped the father of Jesus. That's good. But the problem is they viewed God as so other than, unattainable, 
far off because God is holy. That's one of the first things we learn about God in the Bible. And holy means set apart other than he is here, we are here, nothing can bridge the divide. And, and so when they're looking at God, that's all they're thinking about when they look at God. He is so far apart from us, we can't even begin to draw close to him. And you have this story, I don't know if you guys remember this story, one of those weird stories in the Bible no one preaches on because it's, it's kind of weird. And it's the one time they're taking the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's present dwelled, and they're moving it in a cart, and it starts to fall off the cart, so this guy named Uzzah, now with a name like Uzzah, you know you're not going to go far in life. Like, you know, you were the character designed to be killed off early in the season. And Uzzah comes up and sees the cart, with, cart tipping over and the Ark falling out of it, and he reaches out his hand to hold up the Ark, to help the Ark from falling off, and he dies right there on the spot. You're like, well, I, the dude is trying to be helpful. Like, next time I see it falling, I'm just going to step back, you know, just see what happens. I'm not getting close to it. And the reason this happened is because God's presence was so strongly there. And as a sinful person, he reached out, and, and he just, it was, it was so far beyond him that it killed him. Well, that's, that's wild. Okay, that's, that's wild. And so that was the Jewish view of God. God is so other than. And then you had the Greek view of God. The Greek view of God is that the gods, and it's not just one God, multiple gods, were so far off. They were apatheia. That's the Greek word. They were apathetic. They had no passion. They were just, just other than. And they, they couldn't feel. And they couldn't feel what you were feeling. And right here in one verse, the author of Hebrews slaps down both of those views of God. Jesus has been tempted in every way. He has gone through exactly what you've gone through. And he can empathize with you because he's been there. It slaps down the Greek way of viewing it because God, it's not that he doesn't have passion. He has passion. He's felt, and he's felt exactly what you felt. He's felt the pressure of temptation. He's felt the desire to not do what God wants him to do, and he's had to face off against that. And because he did all that, he's a great high priest. But what makes Jesus different than us is that Jesus was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. Every single one of us has faced temptation. We've sinned. We've given in. We have succumbed to it. But Jesus has faced the temptation and not sinned. Well, one of the things I love about these words is he has been tempted. If you're, if you're a grammar nerd here, that's in the perfect tense. Now, now here, here's the truth about the perfect tense in the Greek. It's about something that has happened in the past and carries on into the present. So it's happened in the past and has carried on into the present. And when it says that Jesus has been tempted, what it's telling us is that his temptation happened in the past when he was a human, when he was on earth as a human. And it has carried into the present. Now, not that Jesus is still tempted, but that Jesus still carries with him those temptations. Jesus carries with him the effect of that. He knows how it feels. Jesus, to this day, glorified, sitting in heaven with the Father, still carries with him the fact that he was tempted when he was in this earth, on this earth. He still knows, and he cares. And we don't have a God who is far off. We have a God who has been in your shoes. We have a God who's been exactly where you are. So many of us have this view of God as being cold and unapproachable. Yeah, we can pray to him, but we can just say the basic prayers because God is so far off. And we start to believe this, this powerful lie. And it's powerful because it resonates with what we're already feeling. And here's the lie. We start to think that God is so other than, and I'm so messed up, that I've got to clean up my act before I can approach God. I've got to get myself back together until I can really approach God. Every single one of us has done this, I believe. We, we have times where we say, I can't really come to God and pray about that right now because I've got this sin in my life. So let me clean up that sin and then come to God. So many of us try this. The problem with doing this is that we will never get to the point where we can clean ourselves up enough to come before God. 
And often we say this, when I approach God, we, we say, I've sinned, so I can't approach God. I just can't do it. The problem with this is we're focusing on ourselves. What we should be saying is, Jesus didn't sin, so I can't approach God. When we start off with ourselves, we're going to have no confidence. Because you know what? You're screwed up. You're pathetic. You're lame, spiritually. You are ugly. You are um, the worst, pretty much, is what the Bible says. How's that? It's like, oh, let's go out. Let's take on the world now. Spiritually, that's where every single one of us is. So if you lack confidence spiritually, you should. All right? if, if you have confidence spiritually, that just shows how screwed up you are. You should lack confidence spiritually. But when it comes to Jesus, we can trust in his sacrifice, and then we can actually approach God as there's one hymn that says, dressed in his righteousness. It's almost like we're not good enough ourselves. We can actually grab Jesus' jacket and put his letter jacket on and walk in because we have Jesus with us. And our problem is we forget to focus on Jesus. So here, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We approach God's grace with confidence. Not confidence in what we've done, but confidence in what Jesus has done. Not confidence in who we are, but confidence in who Jesus is. We don't have confidence in our perfect performance. We have confidence that Jesus has won the victory. That he perfectly did what we could not do. That he was a perfect sacrifice where we could not be. We don't come with confidence in ourselves. We come in confidence with who Jesus is. Because get this, Jesus is greater than anything else. Jesus is greater than our shame. He's greater than how we've messed up. He's greater than all the things we've done that we regret. He is greater than, and so we can come in his, pro, in his, in his confidence in what he's done. And there's a purpose to why we approach confidently. This is not just so we can walk in, kind of like TJ, with a little bit of swagger, park our truck behind God's, you know, Godmobile in heaven and just feel good about that. That's not the purpose of coming confidently. There's a purpose, a deeper purpose to this. There's a, there's a study that was done at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand uh, a couple years ago. And I looked at this study recently, and the study was on how walking confidently can protect you from getting mugged. Now, now this makes sense, right? Like, if, if someone's, like, slinking around with, a, like, a nice purse on, like, you're going to want to steal that purse, the person. So if you're walking confidently, then, then someone's not going to steal stuff from you. That's what they said. So they, they teach you how to walk confidently. You guys ready to learn? The first thing is you're supposed to lengthen your stride. All right, so if you just take a normal stride, take a little bit extra sometimes. So apparently, a guy walking like this is going to be better protected than someone not. Okay, that's the first thing. So if you're out late at night in the middle of Jackson, just start walking like a crazy person. All right, here's the second thing. Swing your arms more. Now, I'm just going by what they say, okay? So here's, here's what we're talking right here. Yeah, you do like a this thing and a this thing and a this. Now, if you want to, you can get the, the lateral motion going too. All right, so you can do the, the this thing and the this thing. That's all, there's, five, there's five points here, so it gets better. Walk with more energy. Now, I don't know what this means, but walk with more energizer bunny maybe. So I'm going to try to walk with more energy. So is it more up and down? I don't know. So it's like a, <laughs> something like that. Now, all I know is at this point, if I see someone walking down like that, I'm crossing to the other side of the street. If I plan on mugging them, I am running from them, okay, because they know something I don't know. Okay, walk, make your walk bouncier. Now, I don't know how you walk with more energy 
and make it bouncier. And I'm not even going to try to show that today because I think that's probably inappropriate to do on stage in church. But whatever it is, you are bouncing and flailing and walking and striding. And then you got to do all that and walk faster. <laughs> now, this is like, what, what kind of alien can do this? So, again, I'm not gonna, I don't have enough space here. You guys know, some of you know I'm a speed walker. I, I can do this thing, okay? <laughs> but you got to do it while taking big strides, swing your arms, a lot of energy, and very bouncy. And the purpose of all this, they say, is that no one's going to mug you, which, honestly, I believe. I believe. Like, I feel like I could be holding bars of gold in my hand with a sign on me saying, please take these, these are free, and no one would try to take them. Everyone would be freaked out. And so how you walk, when you walk with confidence, you do it because you have a purpose, right? Because you believe something. When we approach God's throne, we approach with confidence. What's our confidence in? Why are we approaching? We're told right here. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that we can receive mercy and grace. What is mercy? Mercy is what we receive from God because of things we have done in our past. I've sinned in this way. I've done this thing wrong. I've failed this way. I've screwed up like this. It's all in my past. So I need to receive God's mercy for that. So anything you've done in your past that falls out of alignment with God's plan and his will and his desire for your life, every single one of us needs God's mercy for that. The only way we receive God's mercy is when we come to a great high priest, Jesus himself, who draws us back in and connects us with God. Here's the second thing we need. We need grace. Now, what is grace? Often we, we mess up when we're thinking about grace. We think grace is just what we get from Jesus to save us from our sins. That is an aspect of grace. It is a piece of grace, a part of grace. But what grace is in the Bible is God's presence, his power, and his provision at work on our behalf. So it's God being with us. It's God providing for us. It's God's power at work for us. That is grace. Now think about how much grace do you need in a day? How often do you need God to be with you and providing for you and working on your behalf powerfully? A lot of the time. When we come and approach God's throne, we do it because we need his help. We need his grace in the moment. Too many of us are living powerless lives. Too many of us are living lives outside of God's abundance. Too many of us are living lives without God's presence because we cannot approach God's throne confidently. When you approach God's throne confidently as a child and not a servant, which is what the Bible tells us we should do, we receive God's grace. If you can't approach God's throne, you cannot receive his mercy and grace. How do we do it? How do we walk with confidence? Because we know that Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus has overcome. And so we come with confidence. So when we bring our temptations and our failure and our sin, we have a great high priest who gets it. And we can come before him and we can say, God, I messed up this week. I really messed up. God, I've got a twisted past that I've been able to tell no one about. God, right now, I'm in the middle and I'm struggling. I'm embarrassed that I'm still struggling with this after 10 years, but I'm struggling with it. God, I need you. God, I keep messing up. I keep thinking I should be better than this. I should mature beyond this, but I don't. God, I need you. And every time we come before Jesus, he doesn't look at us and say, yeah, man, you're the worst. You really are the worst. I guess I'll help you. He looks at us and he says, I understand. I get it. I've been through it. Let me lead you to my father who's got grace enough for you. 
who's got mercy enough for you, who can help you through what you're going through today and tomorrow and last year. He can take care of all of it. That's the God we serve. That's what it means to have a great high priest. And I just, I've got this burden in my heart today because I think too many of us are not coming confidently before God. If we come before God at all, we're coming timidly, like we don't belong. We're coming and saying, God, God, look, I know I shouldn't be here, but please, can you help me? I want you to walk in confidence spiritually. I don't care if you're not confident in anything else in your life. We can work on that. Today, I want you to be confident spiritually because you have a faith in a great high priest who's paid the price, who's won the victory, and who can bring enough grace into your life today to help you pass whatever you're dealing with. That's the kind of God we have. Many of us are trying to push through life without God's mercy on our past. We want to say, okay, I'm going to kind of separate myself from that. It's still there. I'm going to just try to move forward and be a better person. We need to let God deal with our past with his mercy. You need to come to God confidently. Many of us are trying to push through life today. We're going to try to push through life tomorrow without God's presence and his power and his provision at work on our behalf. Right now, you need to say, I'm not going to do it any longer on my own. I'm going to come with confidence before the God who loves me through Jesus, the great high priest. A lot of us, it's been a little while since we've approached God's throne. It's been a little while since we came with confidence. And I want you to know, wherever you are, whatever your week is held, whatever even you were doing this morning, that now you're thinking, oh, why was I doing that? Doesn't matter what, we can come before God with confidence because we have a great high priest. And I don't want anyone to leave today without stepping into God's presence with confidence. The best way to do that is to go to him in prayer, to come before him spiritually. So let's bow our heads together right now. I want to come to our heavenly father in confidence because we have a great high priest. Jesus, we come to you right now knowing that you have faced everything we've faced. You've been tempted with the things that we have been tempted with. And we look to you and we don't know how you did it, Jesus, but you did it without succumbing to the temptation. You did it without sinning. And Jesus, we, we haven't done that. We, we might have done that a couple times, but we have not done that with our whole lives. And so we give you thanks and praise for that. And we just ask now that you would give us the confidence, not in ourselves. Give us the confidence in what you accomplished to take a step into the presence of God himself. And Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done in my life, for how you have saved me, how you've redeemed me, how you've taken care of my past, how you're leading me into the present and into the future by your goodness. 